1994, I finished university. I had the first child. I got married, and uh, only a few months later, I came back to Chelico. We decided to live uh, here in Chelico. First of all, because I had uh, a house in which I could live, and because my family was near. Messina is not so far from uh, my wife's family. And the first job that I did was uh, the educator. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 153, Planetary Postcards, Pietro Noce, Bed and Bike in Southern Italy. Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Sill, this being our 26th and last podcast of our fourth year, which ends on July 3rd. On the 4th of July, The Sill begins year number five. We're closing out the year with a new series for you called Planetary Postcards, where we'll speak with guests outside of Canada and all over the world, maybe even where you are, among the 20-plus countries that have been listening in the past four years. Our very first guest is my first cousin, Pietro Noce, who joins us from Celico, a very small town of about 3,000 people in southern Italy in the province of Calabria, for those of you who aren't familiar with Italy, it's the toe section of the boot-shaped Italian peninsula right across from the island of Sicily. Pietro and I are sons of two brothers from a family of seven siblings, consisting of five brothers and two sisters, fathered by our grandfather Pietro, who tragically lost his life on June 21, 1947, in a road accident well before Pietro and I were born. Pietro and I sort of switched places, Briefly, Pietro was born in Toronto, Ontario, Canada in 1965 and has been living in Italy since he was seven, while I was born in the very small seaside town of Vibo Marina in the same province of Calabria, Italy, and have been living in Canada since I was five. He made his first trip to Canada after a 45-year absence in 2018, and I made my first return back to both mine and both my parents' respective hometowns 48 years later in 2006. Pietro went to university in Sicily, in Messina, and I went to Ryerson University in Toronto, Canada. We speak both languages, however, he's more fluent in Italian and I'm more fluent in English. For decades, we essentially only knew each other by name and whatever information was sporadically passed within the family throughout those years. Today, I'm happy to say we have my cousin Pietro joining us from Celico, Italy, where it's currently 8.30 p.m., for our very first Planetary Postcard Podcast. Ciao, Pietro, and welcome to the SIL Podcast. Thank you very much. Ciao to everybody. Welcome, Pietro. So, Pietro, let's turn back the clock to February 1973. You're seven years old with a nine-year-old sister and a mother and father and are about to leave for Italy, a country you have never been to and is about to become your home for what appears at this time to be the rest of your life. Can you remember what that was like or how you felt and what was your immediate reaction going back to your father and mother's hometown? So the feeling was normal, maybe because I have a character 
I am very adaptating man. So this is my DNA that permitted me to don't have any traumas. Mm-hmm. And the feeling was very strange because it was a small city. Everybody knows each other. And I remember the first night when I slept here, I heard early in the morning somebody that was screaming. <laughs> he was a fruit seller. And he was screaming. I said, what is happening? You know, who, <laughs> who is upset? <laughs> so I went to the window and I've seen this man with big glasses, the screaming bananas, chipolas, everything. <laughs> like, it was so strange. <laughs> but I can tell you that I felt a little bit more free because living in a big city, this was strange. It wasn't normal to go outside and meet their friends. They don't know who you would have met. And so I met some little kids and they said to me, oh, you know, each other, they're talking. This, this is the, the true to Americano. <laughs> it's the American dumb. The dumb American, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he, they told me. And I said, I'm not American, I'm Canadian. I said, yeah. Pietro, so there were some easy things. It wasn't so hard a transition, but was there some challenges to make a life in Italy after living in Canada for you and your family? Or was it all easy? Uh, It wasn't so easy. But when my father came, he had some money because he sent his houses in Canada. And uh, so there I was to build a, a new house here and to find a job. So... The life in, in Italy here in the South in that time was easier for the families, maybe because of the level of the life wasn't so high. It was a simple life. I, I remember that in that time, I've seen the donkeys going in the, through the, the town too, you know? Yeah. Simple life, uh, slow life. So my father was happy to turn back to let us uh, grow up here. And uh, I don't know if it was the good choice, but I don't suffer for this. You think you benefited from it in many ways, yes? Yes, for the liberty, for the freedom, because when I was a little guy, uh, seven, eight years old, I could go um, around in the town, in the little village, and my father... uh, only had to ask somebody if they have seen me in such a place, in such a road. So he was more sure for me to let me go alone around. I felt safe. I felt more free playing in the roads. Athletic bicycle, uh, nascondino, non so come si dice nascondino, no? Hide and seek. Yeah, that. And always playing soccer. Yeah. Yes. And would you say the Italy of 1973 was very different from the Italy of 2021? Yes, it's different, especially in the South Italy. South Italy has been developing in these years. So many uncles or aunts that came here after 20 years, they could see the differences. So modern houses, two bathrooms in a house in the 40s after the war, it wasn't so easy to have these things. More cars. We have here in, in the south of Italy, in these little villages, we have two, three cars for each family, for example. So you live in the same house your father built and the same town that your grandfather and great-grandfather lived in, which was nearly 175 years ago. 
and who knows how yes. many how many generations beyond that can you talk about the importance of family and the nature of family in italian culture i can tell you that here the family uh, the part of my mother's family there are all the sisters except a brother that is still in canada and uh, we had a good relationship with the family we could uh, ask for them for any needs for example when i had my first child my first baby there were the the cousins that came here to help us because i was working my wife was working too and we needed a babysitter you know yes so you have your mother close to you you have the cousins the aunts the friends too so um, for this point of view I can tell you absolutely that being near to the family, live close, was a good thing. Yes. And Pietro, I visited Italy many years ago in the 1980s yes. because my, my very good friend, uh, his family is from Banzi near Potenza. And we went down there. Yeah, and it was a small town like your town and very few people. And it felt like the entire town was family, even though they weren't related by blood. My friend's Aunt Maria would take in the kids from next door or down the block and they would have dinner together. Everybody seemed to relate almost like they were all family, which I think was yes. wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Yes. It's the same thing. Yes. Because you can have a helping hand not only for the family. It's right. I remember uh, some episodes when I was a young boy. When we were building our house, there was a problem and uh, one of the workers remained can I say, sotto la terra, è crollata la terra, Piero, come si dice? You had a collapse in the foundations? Yes, yes, and uh, and so only the head was up outside, and mm -hmm. uh, I heard from, I think, 500 meters uh, away, heard uh, screaming. Ah. Oh, yeah, help. Uh, so I have seen some men that left all the things that they were doing, to go to help this worker to come out from that situation. My father was there. He mm. was very uh, preoccupied, you know? Right. And so I've seen the, this kind of um, solidarity. An immediate response to the needs of the community. Yes, we still have that. It's not like before, but I can tell you that there's such a help and solidarity that I never seen in, in the other places because I lived in other cities too. Now, Pietro, you went to university in Messina, in Sicily. Yes. And you studied, yes. law, studied law for three years before switching to political science. Why did, yes. you why did you choose to study those subjects? So the first reason was that I thought I was a little bit more idealistic to help people, to help somebody that needs a helping hand for the justice, you know, all these things. Yes. So... And this was the first reason, but I can tell you that first reason was that I wanted to go away from my house at 20 years old, right. to be honest. <laughs> and so, and so there, there was no law university in Calabria, and uh, the first was in Messina. And so I was there to go and live my life alone and uh, far from my family. Right. I, I needed that. I needed with all my heart. And so after three years, I was talking with um, a friend of mine that was a lawyer uh, from uh, only one year, going and training in the 
tribunals. Can I say tribunals? Yeah, tribunals. No? Yeah, yes. tribunals. And so she was describing to me and some friends two or three situations of justice in that Messina tribunal. So I realized that in that moment, there is no justice here in Italy. Wow. <laughs> I said, is this the way to do a lawyer? So no. And I've seen the plan of, the, of another friend of mine of the political sciences. And that moment, I realized that that was the kind of studies that I wanted to do really right. deep in my heart because of my character, because of my DNA that is a little bit more eclectic. Mm-hmm. And so this was a choice, a change that I did in only half day. The day after I was there to change. So basically, you finished the university in Messina at the age of 29. You married in the same year and returned to your hometown, Celico, to live and work for the next 20 years or so before you decided to pursue your interest in creating and operating your own bed and breakfast. Can you briefly describe your life in those 20 years? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you that I was uh, the, maybe the first Calabrian, uh, Calabrese worker, yes. university and worker. So it was very hard for me to do the university and work. And I had to do the military too uh-huh. for one year. Uh-huh. I was in the northern part of Italy to do the military at 26 years old. But when I came back from the military, I finished, almost finished the university, almost, because I finished the university after I got married and after I had a child, the first child. Ah. So in that period, I was working like a piano bar man. Yeah. It was one of the works that I did during university. So in 1994, I finished university. I had the first child, I got married, and uh, only a few months later, I came back to Chelico. We decided to live uh, here in Chelico. First of all, because I had uh, a house in which I could live and uh, because my family was near. Mm-hmm. Messina is not so far from uh, my wife's family. And uh, the first job that I did was uh, the educator. I came back because I had a work, because a friend of mine wanted me to go to work in this house family. Okay. okay. Yeah. So after... Four years that I was in this house family, we realized that the little kids that became 18 years old after didn't have a future. So we tried to do something to let them have a work. It was the first time that I was a a little uh, social entrepreneur to try to give them a work and uh, overall the possibility to have another way to live because they were all at risk to be involved in criminal, you know? You were helping the youth yes. that had no direction and no family. Yes. Social work. Yes. They had a family, but in a bad situation, you know, you can imagine that. Yes. Yeah. It was a good thing, a very beautiful experience, two years in that experience. And Pietro, what was the most important thing you learned working with these young people? I learned the education before everything. That education is a very, very hard work. So I was a father, but I was an educator. And so I could have a good experience to learn many things for my family too. The other thing that I learned was to have relation with 
some kind of people, you know, <laughs> their families were a little bit strange and uh, problematic. Yes. And uh, so this was a, a good experience. And the other experience was to, to give my experience, because when I was in university, I had to learn to cook. I had to learn to wash my dresses. Right. I had to learn to help in the apartment with the other students, you know. Uh, Not your dresses, your clothes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go ahead. Sam. And uh, when I was with uh, adolescent, you know, the line of my education with the social cooperative was to let the child and the boys help in the house doing the things, to use to do that things and uh, have uh, an experience in that sense, too. Yes, which is contrary to the way that we were raised. You were trying to suggest that yes. boys yes. should learn the same things. Yes. Yes. Mm. yes, because until I was 20 years old, in my family, we were my father that was always around working outside all the day. And uh, I had my mother, three sisters, <laughs> And our grandmother, too, in the house. I was the only boy in... Ero viziato. Come si dice viziato in inglese, Piero? Avevi abitudine. Many women around you, you were the only male because your younger brother wasn't born yet. So you became yeah. habituated and not doing any domestic functions. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's perfect. <laughs> It's very good in English, yeah. uh, Kevin. Thank, thank you. So, Pietro, let's get yeah. closer to present time. What inspired you to create your, I guess you call it what, a bike and breakfast business? It's a bed and bike, yes. Bed and oh, bike. yeah, because I was telling you about the, the experience of the cooperative. Because I learned also to work with the wood. Yeah. When I was building my house, my father was building, I helped the stone layer. Can I say stone layer? Yes. Yeah, brick layer, stone layers. Yes. Uh, brick layers, yes. And uh, carpenters. And this experience was after I can tell you why it was important, even this thing, you know, with the, with the kids doing in the social entrepreneur, you know? Basically, what you're trying to tell people is that the experience that you had in the social work yeah. aspect with the youth, with the experience that you had with their families, the experience yeah. you had doing physical work, carpentry, bricklaying, and so yeah. on. All yeah. these things yeah. helped develop you as a person and it helped make you a better father and it gave you more skills that you could use in your life. Yes, yeah. that's perfect. Please continue. Yes, I continue because after the experience of this social enterprise, I left that kind of work and I started to do the um, representants of some uh, hair products for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. A sale representative. So after this, I had the fortune to go and uh, work in the Caterpillar company, the dealer. Mm -hmm. So I spent, uh, can I say that? Can I say the, this name? Yes. Caterpillar in Southern Italy. Yes. So for eight years, I did the after-sale assistant and for four years, the seller of machines, but in a bad period. So it was good for me to do that thing because I learned to work hard. I worked 14 hours per day and Saturday half day and Sunday half day too, on the computer, on the platform. So uh, it was a very stressing period, but economically, I was more calm. But in 2013, there was a, a big crisis here, 
And so the dealer had to cut the workers you know? mm, yep. and also the sellers. And this time I was proposed by my company to go out from the company with uh, helping, como se dice, un aiuto, un incentivo ad andare via. Yes, no? you were given a package to leave the company. Yes, a good package. It was a social check. 80% of my income, of my salary for three years. So it was the first time that I had time and money, both things. Yeah. So I said, oh, I have three years of income. I have some money to invest. And now I want to do what I was dreaming about. Because when I worked with Caterpillar, I went around in all Calabria. And I was so upset that we had a so beautiful, beautiful, beautiful country and region. And uh, wasn't uh, sfruttata. Come si dice sfruttata in English? It was um, not developed. 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 So you can imagine, uh, for example, Celico, yes. my, my little village, we are uh, 45 minutes far from the first beach, the Tyrrhenian Sea. 45 minutes. And we are 50 minutes to go to the high mountains, uh, you know, yes. 1,650 meters upon the level of the sea. So in two hours, you can be in both the places. I can tell you that some hosts, some clients, when they ask me to go uh, around to see something of Calabria, sometimes they are, for example, in, in April, we go one day to the Sila, the Altipian that we have here, close, yes. 50 minutes, with the snow, with the snow. Yes. <laughs> with people skiing, uh, Shiano, yes. Shiano. Yes. And the day after, we are in Tropea, for example, on the beach, there is a calm sea um, <laughs> with, the, with the sun. <laughs> and so they send pictures in their countries to their friends and family and say, oh, where are you? On the snow or are you on the beach? You know? <laughs> and they stay laughing. We are, I am in both the places. <laughs> no, you can't imagine that. So you had this vision of creating something yeah. that gave people the opportunity to share in this beauty that you observed over the years. And that gave you the idea to have yes. this bed and breakfast under your control. And also you yes. had developed skills so that you could actually yes. build it yourself. Oh, you built it yes, yourself? Yes, I did many oh. things, oh. yes. Wow. Yeah, many things, not all, but we did the first part in economy. So I helped the friend that was a bricklayer, you know, the carpenters, and many things I did by myself painting, because I painted too, you know, when I was in university, it was one right. of the works that I did. So many things, working hard, okay, maybe sometimes 14 hours per day, but for my own job, for my own enterprise. So that made me so happy to do by myself many things. Yes. And imagining, and then, um, mm -hmm. because I bought an old house, it was an old house. I think the house of the bed and breakfast is of the 14th century. Oh, oh. Okay, I, I can see that from the stones, yes. from the way they built mm -hmm. the, mostly of the, of the house. So I imagine everything, what would happen after. And I was so excited to do that. So this was a dream come true for you. Yes. Was it an immediate success or did it take some longer time to get it going and make it work well? 
when I study economy, and one of the first things that you study when uh, you study enterprises and uh, things like that, you know that you need maybe three or four years to make a business. Yeah. No. Yeah. So first two years was low, but after every year I was doubling the income. Mm-hmm. You no. Know? Mm-hmm. So I was a little bit on risk, but my wife was working, and uh, we had the time to develop. And to make a good job, a very good job. After three years of my activity, I bought for me, for myself, an electric bike, assisted pedal bicycle, because here in the mountains, it's difficult to have uh, a 50 years old, uh, the possibility to have to go to the bicycle, not right. my bicycle. <laughs> so it was a great opportunity for me, and I enjoyed for some months go in the, in the mountains, in the forest, you know, because it's very close to the town. Only three kilometers you are in the beautiful forest. So I said to myself, if this thing is so a pleasure thing for me, why cannot be a pleasure and a beautiful experience for my clients? Yes, sure. I bought four bicycles. I invested some money doing this thing. It was an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So basically, while you were operating your bed and breakfast, you realized that with an electric bike, you could allow yes. all your guests to have this experience yes. of taking this bike up hills, down hills, because it was motorized with an electric motor yes. that gave them the opportunity to travel by bicycle and see all these beautiful yes. places. So you incorporated this idea into your business. You saw it develop very quickly and was actually becoming very successful when all of a sudden, you and millions of other businesses all over the world, we come to COVID. Yes. So how did COVID affect your business? Oh, I lost in 20, only 30% of the income of the 2019. The government gave to us, I think, only 17% of what we lost. That means only pay the electric uh, bills, gas, uh, and uh, how can I say? Utilities. The utilities, perfect. So this was the economical situation in that year, in the last year. This year, until now, it's worse than the last year. It's worse. They gave us only 5% that we have lost in 2019. So I don't know what is the information in Canada about Italy, about the the enterprises, but I can tell you that million people are going to close their activities, especially in the tourism, you know? I am am lucky because the house is mine. I don't pay any uh, renting. Renting. You're lucky because you own the properties. Perfect. And uh, if somebody can tell you that Italy was good to owning the situation, I don't know if that is true. You can imagine that in Germany and France, the government helped giving 70, 80% of the income uh-huh. of the, the year before. It's a very big, big difference. Mm-hmm. The problem is not only the, the, the economical problem because you can imagine that the workers that have uh, the, a salary didn't understand the situation. For them, it was economically better because they didn't have to take the car and go to their office. So it was better. And in 
really most, not, uh, not everybody, but most of them don't understand the situation of all the entrepreneurs in Italy. No. Right. The small businesses, especially the businesses that are involved in tourism like yours. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this was a problem because, uh, uh, in my opinion, the pandemic was uh, a little bit exaggerated. Or it's my opinion. Okay. So yes. don't take it like. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, we, we, want, just, we want to hear your opinion. Uh, my opinion is that this pandemic was not so pandemic to close everything, to close the life, to close the people and, and the houses. And uh, in my opinion, no. Yes. Uh, it had to be more controlled, more cured. Can I say cured? Curati. Do not close everything, lock down everything. Uh, give assistance yes. where is needed the most. Okay, go ahead. Oh, perfect. You, you... Yes, I can tell you because I talk with other people in other countries, and uh, I think it was the same same situation in all the world. Yep. Yes. Yep. So it was the same. I, I know that people die in Canada in the hospital of Canada. Yes. I can imagine that. You know, for me, is one of the perfection of um, the sanitary uh, caring in the world, probably, in my opinion, people that die, that means that maybe they didn't have um, spent enough of their force in sanitary and medical cares and uh, believe in other kind of doctors that have found a way to take care about COVID and save people. Mm -hmm. I had the COVID too. All my family had the COVID, you know? Yes. Your father, who is 81 yes. years old, also got COVID and he was hospitalized. And your mother, yes. I believe, who was 79, you took care yes. of her. She got COVID as yes. well, but you were able to take care of her at home. So she didn't even go to the hospital. So no one in the family died, but you all had it. Yes. Okay. Perfect. We could take care of my mother in the house with oxygen too. And uh, less within a month, we were out of the problem, everybody. Yeah. A lot of patience, a lot of caring, but we can go through and out of the disease because right. some doctors were able to give the right medicines, the right medicines. So I know thousands and thousands of medical doctors in Italy, nurses, psychologists, that they are helping people. Because the, the ministry said that we only have to take tachypirina for the fever right. to lo lower the, the, the fever and wait. But they don't obey to the ministry to save people. So they're fighting with the medicines, yeah. going yeah. to visit them, you know, overcoming the laws. And they risk to have a penal situation. Yeah, yeah. No. I understand what you're saying. It's happening here too. It's happening all around the world where the health department is saying one thing and doctors in their practice are saying, no, we have a treatment. We can use this treatment and help these people. And they get censored. And so there's a lot of conflict in the medical industry, right? Yes. Pietro, is there conflict also socially inside families with family members? Yes. And which way? To yes. Which way? Yeah. Unfortunately, yes. Mm. <laughs> Because after when I when I got the COVID, they said, "Oh, now you understand what is COVID. Now you change your idea." I said, "No, <laughs> it's worse than before." <laughs> Because I realized that we can go over this. Yeah. But this is the problem. 
and people are only waiting for the vaccine. But in the while, there's something to do, I think. While you are waiting the miracle of the vaccine, yeah. we can do something. So the ministry, the science, doesn't want to talk with the not official part of the science. Yeah. And they don't want to go around a table to confront their theories and their experience. Yeah. First of all, the experience, Peter, Harry, you know what I mean. Yes, we do. An idea is an idea. An experience yes. is an experience. Yeah. So if, if I can tell you that I took care about thousands and thousands, at least 10,000 people going in their house and visiting them and taking care about them and nobody died. But if you tell me from the ministry that I don't have to go in the houses to take care about the people, and we only have to wait what is happening about the fever in seven days. Maybe it's too late. Yeah. It's yeah. too late. That's sure. why if people are dying. Yeah. And the Italy was the center of attention early on in this catastrophe. People were seeing these terrible images in the hospitals and all of that. But at the same time, Pietro, yeah. we were also seeing videos of people who were locked in their apartment buildings and they were standing on their balconies and they were singing together across. The, yes. the, across yes. the buildings, which was very inspirational for a lot of people. So the spirit of the Italian culture and spirit yes. really showed itself right in that moment, which was amazing to me. Thank yes. you. It's wonderful. Yes. It was a wonderful, yes. wonderful, positive thing yes. that came. Yeah. Thank you very much, Harry, yeah. for this consideration of Italy and yeah. Italian people. Yeah. Yes. It was very beautiful to do that, but yeah. in the first two or three months, yeah, no, yeah. so we were a little bit, you know, crazy with uh, with our heads closed yeah. in our house in the south. This was a fortune for us. In the south, we have big houses, right? Very comfortable houses. We have the gardens around the, the houses. Yes, yeah. and so we didn't suffer uh, like like metropolitan people that they used to live in. Or 30 or 40 square meters houses. Yeah, yeah. And so I said, what happened to that people? Psychologically, physically, uh, morally. We were out on the balcony singing. Uh, and yes, it was a, a beautiful experience. It was great. Yeah. But only in the first two, three months, because we didn't know what was going to happen to us. We didn't know the level of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So we were inspired to have relations, even uh, in, in music, playing tennis on the balconies. Yeah. No? <laughs> <laughs> so, Pietro, yes. your whole family has had COVID. Everybody, thankfully, is okay. So I'm curious now that we are in June of 2021. The situation seems to be the same in all developed countries. This vaccine, which is being pushed everywhere, and of yeah. course, there are places that offer some resistance. And I'm going to ask you a question directly, which you can or don't have to answer, because I know that this is a difficult question for some people. I am curious to know, because your parents were sick, because you were all sick, yeah. how do you or your brothers and sisters, if you feel the same way, how do you feel yeah. about this push for the vaccine? I feel very bad, Peter, because they are pushing for the vaccine. So I have no problem to do a vaccine. Yes. I have no problem to take a medicine. If I'm sure that the right effects and my body, 
that I don't risk anything. I am a pragmatic, realistic man, I think. So it's not against the vaccine. But right. if the vaccine doesn't work, if the vaccine made some people die too and have uh, collateral effects, mm-hmm. very yeah. uh, bad collateral effects, I don't want to do this. And all my family doesn't want to do And we don't have to do because we had the COVID, and so we have the immunity. Yeah, right. It's right. Immunity is the mm-hmm. right word. Yes, yes. yes. So we, yep. we are, uh, we have the immunity. So when I go out, I don't know what happened in Toronto or in the other cities, but I can imagine it's the same thing. When I go outside to do my things, yes. and I stop at the place of the city, the, the principal square and, yeah. and the village, So I see all the people with the mask outside, for example, even if they are distant yeah. <laughs> each yeah. other. Right. This is a crazy thing. Yeah. This is a psychological problem. Um, if I go into the bar outside to take a coffee, the first thing that I hear people talking is, oh, did you do the vaccine? Oh, yes. What? What is Marca? What is, which, 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 uh, which one did you, you take? Do? Yeah. Uh, Pfizer, Moderna, uh, AstraZeneca. An old guy said, I did, I did the spider. I said, I did the spider. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, oh, well, the first one, the first inoculation, or, oh, no, the second, oh, well, that's okay, that's okay, that's good, that's good, that's good. Right, right, right. I'll go, I go in another place to go in an office in another place or to the mechanic for the maintenance of my car. And I hear people saying, oh, well, did you do the vaccine? Oh, yeah, yes, yes. The first in the collection of the second. No, no, the, only the first the second I have in uh, the end of July. Right. Uh, well, which one? Uh, AstraZeneca. Oh, AstraZeneca. Oh, problem. No, 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 no problem. No problem. <laughs> only a little bit, you know. Everybody is talking in all the hours about this argument, this vaccine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. here too, Pietro. Oh. Anche qui, even here. Yes. When you found out that your mother and father had COVID, we know this is serious. Yes. It's not that we're making a joke about this. It's not a joke. It's serious. No. Yes. But in your mind and your sister's mind and your brother's mind, when you found yes. out that your mother and father had COVID, were you really, yes. really worried or were you just concerned and thought that they would be okay? We were really worried in the first days because we didn't have medical care. But when the doctors, young doctors, new young doctors came because the government gave this possibility to uh, some people, we have the USCA, the centers of the the, the medical care. When they came in our house and visited us, I was very calm. I didn't have any problem and they didn't have any problem. Only my father had a problem when he went to the hospital because my mother was in the hospital for one day to do the RX to see the, the situation of the pulmonite. She was being examined for pneumonia. Uh-huh. Uh, pneumonia, perfect, perfect. Yeah. And in that day, she had troubles, troubles with the medical care in Cosenza. And so when she came back the, the day after, my father heard about that. She couldn't go to the bathroom, too. Excuse me if I tell you this. No, it's okay. But the nurse was telling her, you cannot go to the bathroom because you have the COVID. And she mm. said, uh, and now what do I have to do? Yeah. And they say, you have to <laughs> arrange. And the other guy said, oh, what are you telling this woman? 
You can go to the bathroom. I will take you to the bathroom and you can go. Right. So don't worry. Oh, my mother was so thankful for that. Yeah. Oh, so when the, she came back and she talked to us about the situation and my father needed to go to the hospital, he didn't want to go. Oh. He didn't want to go. He said, I want to die in my house. I mm. did what I did. I did it my way, he said, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah I did what I have to do. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yes, he was telling that in English. Yeah. I did it my way. I want to die here. You know? Okay, yeah. I don't want to go to die in a hospital without a care with people that tell you that you cannot go to the bathroom because you have the COVID. Right. So let me die here. And we said, Daddy, we love you. We don't want you to die. You have to go to the hospital. You have to see which is the level of your pneumonia. And after, you are free to come back, okay? And he said no. And after my brother, my little brother, he is 35 years old. He's waiting for the second baby. And he said, Daddy, okay, you want to die. You can die if you want, but please, not until September because the new baby is coming. I want you to see him. Okay. Oh, God. And so, uh. and so no, no, it's serious. It's funny, but it's serious. Yes, yeah, yes. And so he was convinced to go to the hospital. He said, okay. And so he was lucky because he was in another hospital and they took care about him. He stayed there 19 days. It was very difficult for him. Because he doesn't like to telephone, he doesn't like to use cellular, so we had problems to have a communication with him. But we have some friends here. If you don't have a friend, you can you can die. Yes. Okay. Wow. okay yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Not not always, but right. no, sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we had we had some information with friends of us that have friends of their of them that worked in that hospital giving us the situation. It was very hard for my father. He lost 10 kilograms in that period. Right. Huh. So he came here, he was very uh, dead, he was weak. He was very weak, but day by day now he's good. And besides, your father had other complications. Your father wasn't just COVID. He already had some heart problems and he already had other problems. Yes, oncological problem too, yes. Yes, and yes. psychologically as well. So you were concerned not yes. just because of COVID, you were concerned because the effect of COVID could have on the other things that he was already having. Yes, we were worried about that. No. Yes, I understand. So, Pietro, let me ask you, what's the most positive thing you've seen or have experienced because of COVID? Oh, I can tell you. I have more... Awareness, how can I say it? Awareness. Awareness that we have to develop and uh, do better the medical cares. <laughs> yes. That's first of all. The positive thing is I'm not watching TV anymore. Okay. <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> because the information is very, very, very strange and um, aggravating, aggravating, aggravating. Yes. The positive thing about the bed and breakfast in my business, the last year, the only one, is that August we had 228 presents. <laughs> only in August. Oh. So we made like three months and only one month. Wow. And this this why uh, people from Northern Italy was not able to go outside and go, uh, for example, in Europe or in America or in China and Thailandia to do their vacation. They couldn't do that. So they were forced to choose 
the south of Italy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Italy and yes. special, in a special way, the south of Italy. Yes. And this was a great discover. And I'm talking with my friends that have bed and breakfast hotels or restaurants. And we all said the same thing. So it was a good thing because they were forced to go in a place that they have many, uh, prejudices. 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 About the South, about the situation here. But they discovered and they told us we didn't imagine, we didn't expect this. We didn't expect your gentleness, your way to take care about your clients, about the landscapes, about the food. About the people, because when in a little village you go to the bar to take breakfast, people is friendly. Listen, Pietro. Yes, tell me. The way you talk about Celico and your bed and bike, I want to go there right now. I'd love to be there right now. Oh, yeah. It sounds so good. It sounds so good. But let me ask you this. I'm very happy. (laughs) We're going to wrap this up shortly, but I have a question for you. When everything about COVID is finally finished, when they say, okay, it's finished, we're all good, we can go back to whatever, normal, what is the first thing you're going to do when COVID is officially declared it's finished? Maybe uh, a trip. A trip? A trip. Where? Maybe in in Brazil. When I came in uh, 2018 in Canada, it was a great period, and uh, I'm grateful to everybody in Canada. But I had to go to Brazil too. I had a lot of friends there in Brazil. Uh-huh. And I have many clients that, that come here too, you know, from Brazil, Argentina. I want to go there to spend 15 days, not more, in Brazil. This mm-hmm. is my desire. But after that, I want to visit all Italy because it's a fantastic country. What a great way to finish this podcast with a little plug for Italian tourism. <laughs> oh yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, I want to tell you that Chelico is a historical place too. And maybe you finished. I don't know, but I want to tell you that you know who was born in Chelico? Who? Who? Gioacchino da Fiore. Gioacchino da Fiore was a monk. Okay. He was born in Chelico in eleven thirty. Gioacchino da Fiore, his philosophy, his prophecy, was named by Barack Obama in his first election uh, campaign. Oh. His house here. Oh. And there's another Joaquino, that is Joaquino Greco. He was born in the house, probably 99% in the house of my bed and breakfast, in 1590. He was the first world champion, chess champion. What was his name? Joaquino Greco. Greco, yes, okay. Greco. I know, I know okay. that name. I play chess. I know about the history of chess. Pietro, yes. Harry is a big chess player. Wow. I know so that he big. knows about Joaquino Greco called the warrior. Yes. He sure. was the warrior. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he made the first uh, instruction uh, chess manual. Yes. Translated yes. in 53 languages. Yep. That's right. So, wow. So great history there. Yeah. And Pietro, we're kind of finished with the podcast, but a quick question for you, because this came up at a family picnic in a discussion. Roberto Arnone. Yes. He talked about the Jewish communities of Celico. Yes. Yes. Can you give me a very brief history of that? Yes. Celico was a Jewish place many centuries ago. And uh, the proof of that that we found is that there were many type of work 
of um, Baco da Seta, the skill uh, worms. Silkworm production. Esatto, esatto. This is one of the activities that is uh, typical from Italian Jewish people. Mm. Oh. So it's been very, very interesting. I really, really appreciate that you were willing to come and talk to us, that you made the effort, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I know I did. Yes, thank you, Pietro, and one day I'd like to shake your hand in the physical. Shake your hand directly. Yeah. No, no virtual. <laughs> I, I will be honored to do that, and the pleasure is mine. I was very honored to do this with you. A little bit excited before, and I was worried, but I felt free. You made me feel free oh, nice. to Thank be you. myself and, and to tell the things. Uh, maybe sometimes wrong in English, but no, it's great. you it's forgive great. me for that. No, for my no, problem. no problem. Thank you so much. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks again. Thank you. And uh, ciao, you. Pietro. Ciao, yeah. ciao, ragazzi, 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 mi raccomando. Ciao. State in forma, eh? Okay. Grazie. Okay. Ciao. Siete due grandi, siete due grandissimi. Ciao, Pietro. <laughs> ciao. Bye bye, bye bye. That's the best ending we've ever had. Because it's natural. It's so natural. It's great. <laughs> Love that ending. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production, available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.